Welcome to The Flipside with Her Black Book, a podcast powered by Samsung Galaxy and presented by Pop Sugar Australia. I'm Julie Stavanya. And I'm Sally Sassi. Together, we're the founders of premium shopping and discovery app, Her Black Book, where you can find a curation of exclusive deals, cashback promotions, and new arrival alerts from all your favorite brands. Our app, Her Black Book, is available for download on iOS and Android now. Every Thursday, we'll be in your ears delivering honest, insightful interviews and action-driven conversations with our diverse lineup of influential guests across business, brands, and technology. We are lifting the lid on the thrills and spills that come with building and working within a tech-driven business. At the end of each episode, we'll deliver our listeners a very special exclusive offer from our Her Black Book brand partners. Anna Huang, the creative genius behind fashion label Anna Kwan, has undoubtedly become one of Australia's most loved designers. After ditching law school for fashion in 2013, Anna is on a mission to make everyday wear special. Known for her subtle detailing and unique tailoring, Anna made Mercedes Fashion Week Australia debut in 2015 and has now reached cult status. Today, with a little help from technology, the brand has gone global with the likes of Carly Kloss, Kendall Jenner, Margot Robbie and Scarlett Johansson all wearing her pieces. Anna joins us now. Thank you, Anna, for joining us. Thanks for having me. I have to say, we're going to go into a lot of your accomplishments because your brand has become so loved and I feel like you've really had a standout year. Um, But before we go into that, I only recently learned about you that you are also a mum of a two-year-old. Yeah. How do you do that too? I didn't even know that. Oh, nobody ever knows. I don't post about it. You don't, which is really, I I think, so lovely to, I I did get to see you in your element recently with a beautiful runway show and your son was there. And I I I actually spoke to you about it. So this is going to be so special for him to sort of see all of these iconic moments that you're putting on. Um, Do you think about that ever? I think that his interest right now is in trucks. I mean, <laughs> a lot of people were saying to me yesterday, oh, it'd be so great because he'll know what his mummy does. And I'm thinking, I don't think he's registering that. Right now, I think you're right. He's totally Not into the really. fire engines. So let's go on to how you started things. Now, you started out in law. Um, why did you decide to switch? Well, I was already midway through my law degree. Um, and I also studied journalism. So there was like... One or the other or something, but it was just kind of a nice background to a few... Mm. I mean, everybody kind of does like a law degree or an arts degree or something, and then it's a way to sort of have a bit of time to think and I don't call it a bit of a holding pattern so that you can stave off like reality and adulting. But it's true. (laughs) We've met so many people who have done law degrees or, you know, even accounting degrees and it is really just buying time so they can figure out what they really want to do. Do you think part of that is because you are forced at such a young age to decide what career path you want to go down to? Like I know that so many people at 18 I mean, going into fashion and running a business, you're essentially a business owner at that point. That's a really big commitment. So like you said, kind of like staving off the adulting, right? Responsibilities get real when you start a business. Is it about not knowing which career path you want or actually did you know that you wanted to get into fashion but like not yet? I always knew I wanted to, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know whether I could. Ah, so why did you think that you couldn't? Well, I never studied T&D in school. I never did anything that was creative. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, I always really liked clothes, yep. but I couldn't draw. I couldn't... No, I'm not even kidding about that bit. <laughs> I had to do a night class to get into design school because there was a drawing exam, but I had to spend a year doing night classes while I was studying at law school during the day, knowing for me to get into design school, I needed a couple of years where I actually had wow. to learn to 
get in, which was kind of interesting because um, that was kind of the requirements at the time that you had to do a drawing exam, a design exam, and an interview. So how good are your drawing skills now? Not really good. <laughs> I can't say that they've improved significantly, but I can express an idea yeah. in a sketch. So doesn't it hold that somebody can successfully run a fashion business, but to get the, you know, the degree that they want, there's something that isn't necessarily needed. Like in your you know, case, it was passing this drawing exam. Like, is that necessary? Is that holding people back who otherwise could actually go into the fashion industry? I would say you need to be able to express an idea and communicate it to people. So whichever way you can do that, as long as you're able to do that in a cogent way that's efficient Mm. is probably the best. And sometimes, like even now, I have like some design assistant, like three design assistants, and I have a concept. And then they're like, just sketch it. And I'm like, oh, I just, I don't, like, I've realized that for me, it's not about sketching it because I find sketches very, um, they're quite aspirational for one, and they can be quite misleading because Mm -hmm. people tend to make them very artistic. And it captures a mood, but it doesn't actually capture the actual garment. So I always say to them, no, let's model it. So I'll do a very preemptive sketch on paper, like, but it's more technical. I'll be like, this is where we're going to cut. This is where we're going to put like the fit through and this is going to be the angles. And then what we do is we just get like roll out a sheet, a big sheet of paper. And then I say, no, we're going to model it on the dummy. And then that's how I like I like to work in 3D, modeling it physically, what it's going to look like, but only in paper, because like doing it in like calico fabric mm. I find quite wasteful. Paper we can recycle it. And you know, and then if you do it and you're not sewing it up all day, but you're just spending the time just getting a sense and a um, fit for and a cut for like a garment or an idea, it, I think it's fine because it's just paper. You know? I feel like we've just uncovered one of the secrets to why your pieces fit so well. Your insistence on modelling it so early on, because, you know, I've seen design processes, we used to do it with activewear, very, very different category, but you send away sketches, they come back very different to your intention, and you have to spend a lot of time going back and forward to get, you know, to the the true intention. Sketches are very misleading, and, like, there's so many ways even somebody offshore can interpret the sketch, Mm. as you know, and... So it's like kind of like same, same, but different. Someone might see a line and go, oh, that's an inset panel. Whereas I'm like, no, that's not something that's inset into another seam. This is something else. But it's not it's not clear. And the other thing is you do it and you see it in real life and it might be really fugly. And you'd be like, oh, okay, didn't work. And it's just a piece of paper and it's fine because you can scrunch it up, put it in the bin, get another piece. Now let's talk about your evolution in the design space. It all started with reimagining the classic white shirt. Tell us about that. Was that, you know, did that come from the law chambers? Like what inspired the... Cotton is very readily available. And um, when you start out, people don't realise that if you want to make stuff, there's minimum order quantities. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I just started off with something I thought I could do and execute and that was going to be relevant. I, well, I thought it was going to be re- I mean, I'm not sure if it was initially. People didn't quite understand what the hell I was doing. I disagree. I remember really? your white shirts. I and like I'm I got pretty one sure. when you first launched, the balloon sleeve. I'm pretty sure you even have your snaps on your phone in the in the white shirt. <laughs> I do. It's it's a very small proportion of it's the... It's a very niche market. Yeah. <laughs> what I, f- I felt like there was a lot of people that are like, what the hell are you doing? Um, are you like a shirt maker? And then... 
some people like saying to me, oh, so you like make corporate wear. I'm like, kind of not, but kind of, yeah. But for everything. Chic corporate wear. People, I don't, I, I don't think it was considered very fashionable, um, but it was something that was, I think, readily available and MOQ-wise, it was okay, and cotton was easy to source. And, like, when you're a small designer and you're starting out, you're not going to get a lot of fabric agents from large Italian mills from, like, the best of the best in the world Mm. saying, here, you're not going to get access to all those things. So I just had to think practically about what it is that I could do. I could express an idea in a simple way that hopefully would catch people's attentions. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I feel like pe- people weren't quite sure about me at that stage, and that's fine Except too. for Julie, because she's an early adopter of things yeah, that she can see adopter. becoming a really great trend. And she was on it well ahead of anybody else. I really liked that it was quite progressive. You know, you took this shirt, which everyone wears occasionally, like it's just a staple, but then you made it, you know, kind of like a little bit different. And I, and I like that because if you don't want to make too much of a statement, you don't want to wear a lot of colour, you could go with a classic white shirt, but you'd have these like little subtle details. But I always think in that first year, it's about, um, you know, just noticing someone and you know that things will evolve and you just want to start to keep an eye on them. So maybe a lot of people were doing that. Okay, this is really interesting. Let's see where this designer goes. And now, Hmm. like, let's talk about your evolution to, you know, the sort of fabrics you work with today and the sort of designs. Did you change because you felt people didn't understand it? Like what what led you on to the next phases of discovery? I don't know. I started with the shirt and I was quite naive at the time. It wasn't so much, I want to build a business. And still, sometimes I think, oh, I'm a business owner. (laughs) How did that happen? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much, actually. Because when I finished design school, all I wanted to do was be a designer. Mm. I just wanted to make clothes. And somehow what I didn't realise is that it would entice, not, not, not entice, it would like entail like all these other things that I hadn't thought about, like smart things, like product categories, assortments, yeah, mm. like, you know, range plan, yeah. OTV. And I didn't learn that until I actually went away to Paris and actually had to sell stuff physically mm-hmm. by myself because I had no sales agents and no one wanted to represent me. But people were asking for appointments overseas. I was like, what is this showroom business? How do, how do you sell clothes to people? Like, I didn't even know that. It's kind of cringe, like all the stuff that I did. And I was like, oh, wow. But I just like just organically started doing stuff. And I think with the shirts, um, to answer the question was just sort of like, well, once I had buyers who were like, okay, what else can I buy? And until someone says to you, what else can I buy? You kind of don't want to make it because I think it's kind of wasteful to just make stuff like all the sake ho- of it, like mm. and doing like and, and spending a lot of energy making a whole bunch of stuff people not interested in. And I just wasn't sure what people wanted, and of course, like there were things that I wanted to do, and there was only so much time that I could dedicate to it. If it makes you feel any better, and, and any of our listeners feel any better, I feel like we took a very similar path when we started Star Runner, which was like started something we had no idea what we were doing. Um, I mean, you actually had some training in, in fashion, we didn't, but we quickly learned through the questions that we were being, you know, that we were fielding. Like I was doing the buying, and someone said, "Okay, so do you want to see a lookbook and line sheet?" I had never heard of them, and I was like, "Yes, that's exactly what I would like." And you know, so sometimes it is naive to throw yourself in the deep end, and as long as, long as you're conserving how much resources you put into that you can actually learn a hell of a lot in a in the deep end actually just being in the process and coming against the questions and then working it out on the way don't recommend it for everyone you've got to have yeah (laughs) the right (laughs) it's an experience but yeah I, I learned a lot actually in the in the very early years just turning up to 
market in Paris because people randomly around the world were sending me emails and I didn't know what it was about. And then I would hire an Airbnb randomly and then I'd go buy some racks from like a French place. And then like, it was, when I think about it, it's actually super funny when at the time, like we would have like buyers from like Barney's and like these major stores go, I just wanted to come and see what the fabric looks like. And I'm like, yeah, come to my come to my showroom. And it was just like an Airbnb. And I just like bought a steamer, so hung some stuff up, steamed it. People would come over. I'd like make them some tea. And I then love they'd, it. Yeah, it was kind of funny. But it was but nice. I reckon was nice, you're I somebody swear. who would have totally pulled it off. No one would have been, you know, any wiser. They would oh, have actually gone. It was a nice space, actually. Exactly. They're like, oh, it's so private. <laughs> Nobody else is here. No pressure to buy any other brands. Love it. Yes. So it was, it was good in a way. And it kind of taught me a little bit more about showrooms and like buyers and what people were looking for. And it was good. It was like good market research. And the fact that people wanted that like unique one-on-one experience as opposed to being in a showroom, like you said, with all these other brands all yeah. under one roof where there is that amount of pressure. So what would you say are some of the challenges that the fashion industry is facing at the moment? I think there's always challenges. I just think maybe same challenges <laughs> in a different format. I don't know. There's always the very obvious ones like supply chain Mm -hmm. and things like that. But that like, I think that like everybody across the board, doesn't matter what industry you're you're in, is facing that and the uncertainty of things. But I mean, it could make things a little bit more exciting at times. Um, Challenges. I mean, I think that there's a lot more information and a lot more media and everything is trying to grab your attention all at once. Mm. So cutting through. Yeah, definitely. I I think that that is probably... Because people say to me, oh, it's so much easier now than it was back in the day because there's social media. You could just sell stuff online. You could just sell stuff on Instagram or blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, "Um, no, kind of not because you're competing against way more people. And it's because the barriers to entry are so much lower that there's just more like people in the market or competitors or just everybody is vying for an audience. And you have to think very hard about what you're about, what who your audience is, how, and how you're going to like make an impact and what your value add is. And if you don't have a value add, then, you know, maybe... <laughs> Maybe like maybe sit down and consider consider having one. I don't know. <laughs> I always say to my team, like we have these conversations where I say to them, if you're gonna like if we're gonna work on a design, right? Like like if if speak up if you think like if you've seen something like this in the market already, like we can't actually we're a small design business. It's independently owned. We can't compete against the likes of Zara, et cetera, et cetera. So our value proposition is our design aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Mm. We can't compete on price. Like, there's just no way. Yeah. People with high, high units and yeah, and I would more argue power. to your fabrics, though. I was about to say quality, 100%. Yeah. They're stunning and, like, really, like, I feel like renowned, you know. Like, if you want a good, like, you, you know, you've kind of claimed that forever piece line, you know you're going to get a really beautiful knit. Now, with lots of those other brands... I feel like, you know, you've just got consistency too in that in that quality. We try to keep a lot of the running qualities that we know mm. work, that work for customers at work. And, and the other thing is obviously testing things out. And if it doesn't work, sometimes it's not even the fabric. Sometimes it is the, the under construction things inside it, mm-hmm. the other materials that make up the whole construction mm. and the finish. Um, so I, I find that being very strict on that 
helps a lot, although it can get you fired from like producers if they're not happy with you, which has happened in the past where they're like, your, your standards are too exacting, we won't make this for you anymore. Got it. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. So, which is kind of interesting, but I mean, I don't mind because I just, because I think that people can tell, like, yeah. they're yeah. not, my clothes are not like inexpensive. So I, I understand. But the I feel as though the return on investment for a buyer, like this dress, for example, is actually one of your dresses. I live in it. She really does. I genuinely <laughs> live in it because it's the, the quality is there. And so it doesn't matter if, how many times I wear it, how many times I wash it. For me, it's like I've literally just taken it home from the store. And so for me, the return on investment is much better on, say, you know, something that is a little bit more expensive, but the quality speaks for itself versus wear. exactly yeah. as opposed to um, something that is much cheaper, but I'm going to wear it once because after I've washed it, it's gone out of shape or it just doesn't, you know, look the same. Um, so I absolutely um, think that, you know, Whilst you don't compete in that area, you're definitely competing in in others. The flip side with Her Black Book is brought to you by the new Samsung Galaxy Z Fold 4 and Z Flip 4. It's time to unfold your world. Available now at samsung.com. What do you think was your big break? Embarrassingly, (laughs) probably that, that Kendall Jenner moment. Yeah. Where, like, they found me on YouTube and I didn't believe them that it was, like, Monica Rose's assistant. And 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 Kendall hadn't actually. I think it was her first season walking for Mark Jacobs, so she wasn't like the highest paid model in the world at that mm-hmm. point in time. And that was kind of funny because that was like circa 2014, I want to say, yeah, something like that. So it was very soon after, like about six months, seven months into me like working mm. on my label, and um, I had to make another outfit for her or another one, a replacement, and the one that she wore. That um, that was sourced from YouTube was something I like had physically made and I didn't want to give it away because I knew how many hours it took me to sew it together. So what was it that she saw on YouTube? Was it? It was like a so it was like a jumpsuit that was like on on like a next gen group runway show. And someone wrote to me and they're like, I'm Monica Rose's assistant. We're dressing Kendall for the VMAs or something, and we want these looks. We'd like these looks. And and I obviously, like I told you, I'm a very naive person. So I was, what is this, firstly? And why should I give this person stuff and only have one of this stuff? Um, so, um, and then I, I went to my PR agent at the time. I said, oh, is this really legitimate? Like, who are these people? She's like, give them everything. And I was <laughs> like, no, I'm not giving them everything. That is so funny. Like, no, I'm not giving Kendall Jenner my favourite jumpsuit. <laughs> Pretty much. I was, yeah, yeah. I was, I strategically thought, I'll, I'll give her a whole outfit. She can have a jumpsuit, but I'm not going to give anything else because there's a lot of stuff on this list. And um, who knows if I'll get it back or, or who knows if, if she's will even going to wear, wear it. it and be Yeah, yeah exactly. It's in. probably going to go to some, I don't know, styling assistant, something, yep. if they don't like it. So, I I was very cautious and I was like, nope, she's gonna Kendall's gonna So have you literally to work just sent her the one piece or did you No, I just sent her one. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That that was a gamble. Like this is the Monica Rowe, stylist to the stars. And yeah. you're like, mm, don't know my chances. I'm just gonna give them one and see if it pays because, off. Well because I, I get it though. I get it from your side. Like I don't know, I was pretty naive, but I also thought so many designers would be throwing all this stuff at them. 
and I'll be like, here, just have kind this. Of like reverse psychology. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, you know, like I'm just going to like play it cool. In a way, I'm not saying that was your intention, but in a way, this one designer sent her one piece and she would have been like, who is this designer? I must who know why they're so one piece. <laughs> exactly. And she was um, like, I must wear it. <laughs> So I was actually really devastated. She didn't end up wearing it to the VMAs. I was watching the VMAs uh, or the MTV Awards or whatever it was, and she didn't wear it. I was like, "See, like see, I knew it wouldn't I happen." I didn't send my, you know, I was right in not like handing over everything that I had. Um, but then she was seen in your. Yeah, she was yeah. like a week later. Yeah, and then my friend told me about it because I didn't know. Yeah, so it was shared on. On socials. Yeah, it was all shared on socials, and I didn't know, and I wasn't really paying attention at that time on Instagram or anything. So that's definitely a big break. I mean, like you yeah. said, there's like lots of these things that happen over yeah, time, but that things. is huge. There are so many designers who will, you know, never be able to like experience the celebration of something that big. That's I wish a I mega had moment. celebrated it a lot more. more. I didn't really. I was just like, I mean, I wasn't really. I wasn't really into. Uh, the, the Kardashians cele- and the cele- Jenners. Yeah, but I, remember, I told you I didn't own a TV. Yeah. So, and I, so I wasn't watching like Keeping Up. I was like I, I was like obliquely aware about uh, pop culture, but I wasn't part of it, and I didn't really um, partake in it. Like I don't watch. But do you Bachelor. now? Not really. Sort of like with like hearing conversations with my team about like Love Island and The Bachelor, <laughs> but. No, not really, per se. But I, like, I, I don't mind reading it. It's funny because I don't mind reading about yes. it. Yes, you get the funny yeah, synopsis. You the, yeah, you get the recaps, but yeah. you don't actually have to. Which are witty, and they're yeah. just like there's a little bit of yeah. other entertainment in there. But yeah. I want to spend hours read some of those. You, that no. is a, a big rabbit hole. You get stuck watching those reality shows, and next you next thing like you know, it. you're five deep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a side question. Yeah. Now I always assumed that Anna Kwan. Oh, yeah. What's your name? And yep. your name is Anna Huang. Apologies, yep. I'm not perfect at pronouncing that. But no, where sorry. where does the label come from? Is it your maiden name? Uh, no, it's my middle name. So uh-huh. Anna Kwan is, so Kwan is your middle name. Yeah, I think part of that was just easier to pronounce. It's a beautiful, like, label. Like it, it's it's easier. I think it, it just, I think it rolled off the tongue a lot more easily. And I could see it on, like, a, a name label. Yeah. More than I could my surname, and I'm like, that makes sense. So. It's really unique too. Like you don't see the letter Q in a lot of brand name, you know, brand True. labels too. So it's like really distinctive and therefore a bit more memorable. You know, like when you do have something that stands out, somehow I think those things just like filter True. down into our subconscious. Like brand names are so so tricky. They're very tricky. Mm. They're very tricky. And then you know you can always go to ASIC and look at like the name database search, and you want something that's already taken. I know. So, you know, all the good ones are already taken, so good luck trying to find something. Know the pain. We Trust yeah. us. <laughs> yes, whether it's an ASIC search, a GoDaddy trademark search, or a trademark search. search. Yep. Yeah, Ash. it is it's like, not just easy. Just more and more names get taken up every single year. So, like, how do you, you know, like, as time goes past, how do you find a name that's available? Like, honestly, where do people go from here? Yeah, because there's so many people just, like, cyber-squatting on names and things. Well, that was me. I used to buy and sell domain Sally, names. Still kind of do it on the side. Do you? <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. So that's how Her Black Book came about, was that I actually had that oh, domain really? name. I was buying and selling domain names when I was living in Bali. Oh, my gosh. And that's such a hustler. Yeah. I um, wanted to know, we're obviously just about to hit spring, summer. Well, we actually, yeah, we, we're pretty much in spring. Yeah. But what are you tipping to be the trend during the warmer months? I think I've, it's probably more of a mood. Mm-hmm. I think the mood is everyone's kind of revenging a bit. 
on life because they were locked down yeah, for so long. Yeah, I, I think so. Like everybody who's going on these crazy hot girl like Euro trips and everything on Instagram that I want to go on. Everybody like, but me. Yeah, everyone pretty much but me <laughs> who is like living the best life in Mykonos right now. So um, is it all about the dopamine dressing then? Is it like colour? Is it like shine skin? I think I think for summer, I think that Australians, because of the weather, the way our weather is, we tend to prefer to show more skin anyway. Mm. I think people are kind of reconfiguring what it is that they want to wear versus what they are wearing, what they wore in the past um, during lockdown. And people are still, um, to a certain extent, I think still figuring it out, like after wearing lots of like sweats and things for a while. You just said what I know is a dirty word for you. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think, yeah. Carl Lagerfeld said, once you're in sweats, like, you know, you've lost control of your life. Well, that's very controversial given yeah. we, like, spent a, nearly a decade. I know. Well, we did. Well, everyone, was, everyone had lost control, sort of, to an extent. We were controlled by outside external factors and governments legislating that we all have to remain indoors. So, yeah. Here I was thinking at Australian Fashion Week when you and I were standing uh, in the line and you grabbed my mobile and you downloaded the Macca's app <laughs> so I could get yes. some chicken nuggets on the way home. Yeah. I was thinking we were soul sisters, but then I found out that you are so anti-sweatpants and I live in sweatpants. If I'm not in sweatpants, I'm in your dress because they're so comfy. (laughs) I mean, I don't don't hate on sweats per se, but I I understand what Karl Lagerfeld is trying to say. Um, I think what you wear sometimes can impact your thinking and your mood. It's called enclosed cognition. Yeah. I read about that. And yeah, so there's this so. study they did where people wore lab coats and they did, um, so there was like a, it's a split group and one set wore lab coats and they actually spent, had like a lot more precision and attention to mm. detail in the group that wore this. So the hypothesis is that yes, what you wear can impact what you do. But then my argument would be, okay, if you're wearing active wear, maybe you'll make healthier life choices. That was always my argument when we were running Star Runner. I was like, you know, wear active wear and you'll, you'll actually like walk that little bit further and you pick up a green juice. But, you know, so what do you wear when you're relaxing around the home? Do you have like wool, wide leg pants? Is it like as chic as you look, you know, whenever we see you in public? Yeah, I just, I prefer to wear natural fibres. I think it's mm-hmm. just more breathable generally, even if it's cooler weather. Yeah, I like to wear comfortable clothes, but um, I'm trying to think, what do I wear? I like actually wearing denim, jeans, cotton, cotton canvas. Yeah, I wear a lot of cotton, actually. I bet there's a lot of people listening to this who um, agree with you. and like, yes, I would prefer natural, you know, um, fibres to be relaxing in and, you know, that are more breathable and wickable. So they're probably hoping that you come out with, you know, the Anaquan version of, you loungewear. know, your athlete, yeah, your, lo- your loungewear. Something to think about because you did branch out into bridal wear. Yeah, I did. So tell us about that. Was it something you always thought you would do? Was it a goal no, of yours or was no. it it's like category family. planning? <laughs> no, it's like family law. You don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. If you're like your bridal, if you're a lawyer, you like, you know, it's like there's certain like genres like mm-hmm. unless you really like it you don't do you it you don't go near it you don't go there my friend is actually a bridal designer and I always say to her I don't know how you do it I would die <sighs> because it's very emotionally charged people's wedding mm. dresses are so important yeah. and it for some women it will be like the biggest sum of money that they will spend in their entire lives mm. on just one dress for possibly one day only mm. so I say that that's a lot of pressure and then they've got all these other people pressuring them into choosing, doing this, that and the other. And um, I don't think that, like, I want to be um, partaking in that. 
exercise. But you did go into it. So yeah, I why did. did you decide and what was your kind of point of view um, on it? Well, w- well, the thing was, we were like making these dresses and um, a lot of women were wearing them for their weddings, especially oh, during right. lockdown or just small registry weddings. Yep. Mm-hmm. And people would write in and send their like wedding photos to me on Instagram. Like you, you thought it was special enough to wear on, like you yeah. know. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And so that was really interesting because I didn't set out to be a bridal designer. It wasn't mm. something that I like. You know, it's a completely different genre. Like I have a huge amount of respect for people who do it. Like the amount of skill it takes to do a demi couture or couture dress mm. is like, you know, beyond my my training and skill level. What my friend does is amazing day to day having a bridal atelier. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It was it was kind of an interesting experience. So a lot of people writing in came, and then um, saying to me, "Oh, I love this dress," or writing to me saying, "I'm planning a wedding and this is what I want to wear to my wedding. Do you think like this new season item is going to be coming out by this time?" And I was like, "Really." But I, I just, I guess I just um, never really saw myself like that, mm. like as a bridal designer mm. with a capital B or like not, not that I am at all, but um, that I was like worthy enough to be someone's wedding dress. Like, it's a you huge know. compliment. Okay. So Anna, tell us about how technology has changed since you first started the label to today. It's obviously a huge part of every business today. Yeah. It's an interesting one because everything is like everything in terms of like your marketing strategy, like everything that you're doing, every single thing, e-commerce, everything, it's all about technology. And every decision point that you get to is around, it's kind of crazy, but it's around technology. It's not as nice and innocent like in the old days. I'll just make something, hang it up, take a photo, maybe send it to like a buyer in, in an email, which is like very basic technology now mm, considered yeah. and see what happens. Is it something that you've like ever thought when you first started your label, like you said, things are really simple. Did you ever think it would get this ingrained? And you obviously kind of almost need to like build a team over time to understand all the different to facets. Work, yeah, literally to, to learn technology and training teams about technology. So um, whenever we have like a quiet down period at work, everybody just basically gets trained on different aspects of our ERP system all the various different technology subscriptions we have to make life easier for the business and for them. And um, everybody's just learning. I feel like I'm always, it's not a bad thing. I'm always learning, but it's not, it's not simple cut and dry. You do your lookbook, you do your line sheet, you email Mm -hmm. it to somebody in the hopes that they'll like it and turn up to an appointment and then go buy stuff. It doesn't work like that anymore. You've got to have systems. You've got to have systems. You've got to, you've, you know, you've got to have systems. You've got to have an assortment. You've got to have like a um, a, a shopping subscription for wholesalers to go mm. log on to. You, you've got to have like an order confirmation processing system thing. thingy, Integrated or, like product spreadsheets, you know, so um, that you can sell on Google ads or, you know. Yeah, I mean, something really basic I didn't think we would be doing was we never bothered to do video until we had the pandemic. And then like after the pandemic, we, well, during the pandemic, we couldn't do any more showroom appointments in Paris that we would always do every season. And everything was like on technology based. So we actually had to produce more digital assets continually 
like video is so much more video mm. so much more like we and actually sadly I don't know I just I never really bothered I know it's terrible to say but I never really did much e-com assets and I would double up my uh, lookbook to be cost effective as my e-com I don't know that's, that's smart like, no not really there's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pressure to shoot a lot of looks in one day when, yeah. when the campaign is just to get the vibe mm. um, no so and then we went into this thing where we started like formalizing and this actually probably made the business better and probably expanded the business in the last two years because we were forced to create all these digital assets. And because we were forced to create these digital assets, we probably sold more things. And uh, we did video, we did, um, you know, obviously all the Instagram, social media things, but for like wholesalers, it was like these walkthrough videos that we would do. Like I didn't understand how to do still motion and then looping all of it and then having to teach the team or someone on my team being um, tech savvy enough to go, oh, okay, I'm just going to go on Adobe Pro or whatever and just like go and um, cut it all together into like a presentation mm. for buyers to look at remotely. I notice whenever I'm shopping your site, I then, you know, do get retargeted the ads and they're all video now. I mean, the ones that stand out to me in my mind that really create that salience of your brand are these beautiful, you know, motion, um, you know, kind of videos of your models wearing your product and is that something that you are, I guess, leveraging? Is that the videos you use for your wholesalers and then you leverage it into a digital asset or do you shoot them separately because they've got different needs and purposes? They're different needs and different purposes. So, like, okay, so <laughs> embarrassingly again. Um, so the videos that our wholesalers see is much more, like, professionally produced um, with, like, real photographers and real videographers um, and it's shot at the same time as our e-com. Um, and the videos that are currently running is probably like me on an iPhone. So many brands do that. Yeah, I know. And, and it works better, actually. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, think, I think it seems a bit more real. And then you get to see everything up close, zoomed in. And it's not like, it's a bit basic, but I think that sometimes people just want to see what it looks like on somebody. And mm. it looks more authentic to the channel. Like, we we definitely found at Style Runner when we yeah. shot, like, you know, campaign imagery, you could kind of tell, like, that, you know, real crisp DSLR kind of, like, yeah. result. People would not interact with that anywhere near as much as Love that, video. you know, kind of, like, yeah. you know, phone um, yeah. content. Like, Have you I'm ever always... had a tech fail? Like, I know for Julian, I... oh, <laughs> oh, one of our big ones at Style runner was uh, we started getting all these orders and we were like oh my god this is amazing what's happening like just sales just went like you know just like spiking we we're like what's going on like we've hit, we've just hit inflection point yeah and then we looked at the site and we realized that instead of one item being reduced to 40 percent off the whole site was on sale <laughs> oh well <laughs> so we that like, explains it ah, yes quickly panic panic quickly fixed it and, and i think it was in those days because our website was very custom built and like it wasn't mm. like you know out of the box with all the bells and whistles we had to like turn off sale by product like one at a time it was just no like bulk this edit. is 10 years ago yes yeah. no bulk edit it was mm. literally the whole team like which was like four one or five one. of us yeah literally turning off you know 200 wow. products one at a time while we were like just sweating from the stress of it all do you have any you know that yeah, stick well, out well, in your mind well, yeah this one sale where we had something that was fifty thousand dollars <gasps> i know because it like decided to do an extra decimal or something <laughs> and that was awkward 
So you had a product that was accidentally marked as a 50, few products. 000. It was it was something about like and it was on Shopify actually. It was like the compare pricing wasn't really working because we had patched our website over so many times. Like this theme was too old, and then every time you like up, like you made a the developer made a change, we couldn't actually upgrade to the the newer version yep. of the older mm. theme. And then like it's fine now because like we just finally realized actually we just need a custom theme built. Yep. Yeah. But prior to that. It was just like patchy, patchy, patchy. And like, there's only so much you can patch something. There are people out there who are like feeling that deeply. All of the patches and things are just like holding on by like a shoestring. No. It's no. like just hanging together. Yeah. And then, but then redesigning and creating a completely your own custom theme thoughtfully takes a lot of time and, as well. And how about like money. moving ERPs? Have you had to do that? Like, Enterprise yeah. resource planning systems for those that don't know what ERP is. It like contains all of your inventory, all of yeah. your all of the information behind. It, it can contain your can, you know customers' data. It's your big engine. Yeah, it's a big engine that basically runs the whole business. Okay, so bar, okay, bar, can we talk about barcodes? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, so it's really interesting. We bought the uh, wholesale uh, a wholesale software system first because. It was selling to customers. I mean, selling to wholesalers, which was going to get you primary. orders. You need yeah. the business. It was. It was. It wasn't like it wasn't like it wasn't like a very direct to consumer business. Yeah. And um, so the ERP aspect of it didn't really play into it as much mm-hmm. because we were just making to order for stores, and then anything left over, we would like buy a few extra units, put it online. It like online wasn't a thing. Yeah. Um, and then. Recently, when it has become much more of a thing in the last few years, it was like, okay, it's time to like do this properly and like man up and get an ERP and manage your inventory a bit better. So we were only using barcodes for the stores that required us to have barcodes and we didn't have barcodes for everything else. And then we got this ERP system and we had to assign barcodes to everything, um, which I didn't realise I had to do. And then the other thing was... So, but the, the biggest aspect of that was that, like, our wholesale system had to be completely wiped, Ooh. and then we had to re-enter everything fresh into that is a our, big job. Yeah, into our ERP, and it had to push across that data yeah. to with the integration, and it was like a huge job in the middle of like running a business, um, <laughs> designing new collections. Yeah, pretty much, and yeah. it and and also like training training the team because with what we do making stuff not just buying stuff but like making stuff as well and measuring everything the yield the fabric the style the the price and like just everything like it it just covered everything so everybody needed training on it we did lose a few people who like didn't really like the idea of being in a larger organisation and having mm-hmm. to follow more processes mm-hmm. and protocols. It was so like, it was like everybody had to get a lot of training. And I think a lot of people, some of them didn't like it as much as others. Some people loved it because it was systemised, made a lot more sense. And But there's a lot of data entry, I would say. To that end, like I feel like a lot of people get into fashion and they don't realise how mm-hmm. much data entry there there's is. Entry. It's like inventory management is like yeah. so key to yeah. any business. And it's not just fashion. It could be, you know, Anything. really any, you know, kind Anything. of... Um, business selling products, but that is a, a really key part of what you've yeah. got to do. It's not as glamorous as it looks on the outside. No. Everyone sees campaigns and models and runways, and then the reality of life is like spreadsheets. Yeah, literally. So every time, like I said, every time we have a little bit of a quiet period um, in the business where like we're not making the, the next collection and all the deliveries have happened, um, 
everybody, I rotate everybody in the team to learn different aspects of like number one, the ERP. Sometimes it's inventory, but it's it's bill of materials. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know, creating new styles, like lots of different things. And then, and also to upgrade everybody's like, I don't sound silly, but like Excel and data entry skills, because I don't think it's something, I don't know if it gets taught in school at the moment. Oh, couldn't agree with it's you It's a more. thing. I'm the only person that actually hasn't done the training. Everybody else has. <gasps> You've got but to do it. I, I do. It's about dedicating the time to concentrate. But you know what I do? I've actually been learning spreadsheets on TikTok. Yeah, oh. you can learn so many shortcuts. And yeah. yeah. I, I have... I go TikTok it. I actually yeah. follow these TikTok accounts where if I wanted to like, for example, I wanted to separate surnames yep. from a full name, I go look it up on TikTok. Yep. Like that is that, is, so is that the new thing now? Rather than doing a Google search, you do a TikTok search? I, yeah, I go on TikTok because I've seen it. And because someone's showing it to me on TikTok in like, I don't know, 15 seconds, I yes. don't feel like I'm watching a whole video with we ads on it or something. We were just talking about this in the office this morning, that things are now being searched on like TikTok yeah, um, totally. as like a search engine. It is. Super fascinating. Anna also has a very generous exclusive offer for our listeners of this episode. From now until midnight this Sunday, you can get 15% off full price pieces site-wide at Anna Kwan when you shop via her black book. To access the code and read the T's and C's, download the Her Black Book app right now. So we've talked about some of the difficulty with technology. It's really complex. You know, the teams need to be really bought into the new processes. Um, do you have any examples of technology really helping accelerate the business, though? What's the like the the shining light side of technology in, in a business? It's probably like being able to digitise a lot of things we wouldn't be able to do. Like making stuff is a very manual process. Yeah. And But then also having to not just make something but put it into mass production and replicating things. There's a lot of different, obviously you can talk about anything really here, but there's there's a lot of different things. For me, it's just been, um, like I said, something really basic that I wasn't doing that I should have been doing. It, like the pandemic forced me to rely on technology a bit more than I normally would mm. in terms of producing more content and assets but it actually helped amplify the business a lot more because I was forced to do it. And and grow sales? Yeah, and grow. Yeah. It was it was strange, but we actually grew a lot more during the pandemic because I was forced to do all these other extra things that I wasn't doing prior to that. And did that growth come from those direct channels or was it also new merchants finding you? So it was it was a few different things. It was like the commitment to going to do sales all the time. Um, and like you said, the familiarity with the running qualities of fabrics and cuts mm-hmm. that we had. So that seeing a video, a 3D video, not even seeing a swatch was sufficient mm-hmm. to induce somebody to put in an order. Yeah. I think from a wholesale perspective, but also from an e-commerce perspective, having more assets available to sell things was something, I don't know why, I think I was just so busy just trying to like, design stuff I didn't really think I didn't really pay attention to all the other stuff and it forced me to pay attention to it in a good way amazing love that so um let's jump into some quick fire questions sure Alrighty. so favorite place on earth home coffee order soy cap guilty pleasure I know it's not TV. McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> it is a guilty pleasure. What's your order at McDonald's? 
breakfast or lunch? Oh, this is like someone really committed. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go to your lunch order. That, the fact that I tell people what my one-time code is when I go through the drive-thru is really bad. I eat like a toddler. So it's Nuggets. like, yes. <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? Cat lady or dog person? Dog. Do you have a dog? No, I don't actually at the moment. But I've had been in a family with lots of dogs. So. Grew up with them? Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. What is your favourite piece at Anaquan right now? Uh, stretch wool pants. Ooh, straight to my cart. Thanks so much, Anna. We've learned so much about how tech has really propelled the brand and some really relatable insights on what goes on behind the scenes. Well, thanks so much for having me. That wraps up this episode of The Flipside with Her Black Book, powered by Samsung Galaxy and presented by Pop Sugar Australia. Don't forget to download the Her Black Book app to discover more from your favourite brands. Thanks so much for tuning in.